In the spirit of spinning yarns, acknowledges Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the first Australians and recognizes their culture, history, and their deep connection to the land, water, seas, and communities. This episode is recorded on the lands of Turbul and Jagra people of the Mianan Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging. Four years of being a federal member of parliament, but also 12 years as a local councillor. I've learned so much, but also had a journey myself in terms of understanding where people come from and why they've called Australia home. But whether you've been here for 160 years or you've been here for 16 months, my father always had a saying, we've come in different boats, but we're all in the same boat. And that's how I view a lot of the constituents that I represent. Whether you've been here for a little while or a long while, you we're all in this together. Someone will be staring at me and I know that they want to say something, so I just go up to them and say, G'day, what's on your mind? And they'll say, I'll tell you what's on my mind. I'm glad you asked. And I think that's the great Aussie spirit that we have in terms of our politics here, that people aren't afraid to tell you exactly what they think. But yeah, it, it's 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 on the whole very positive, not negative. So who is your inspiration, Milton? Who is your inspiration? And are you can, can people say that are you a Marxist? You are driven by capitalism, social I'm Akashika Mahula and I'm delighted to have you tune into In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns podcast. Listening to this podcast series, you're helping Australia embrace its rich tapestry of diversity. I'm always amazed by stories of people who are indeed weaving the new age Australian fabric. Today, it's been a delight to have a coffee and a yarn with our guest, Milton Degempe, at the Australian Federal Parliament, representing Oxley Electorate, from Queensland. So before we go any further, here is Milton. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Curry or rum steak? Curry. Which curry? Butter chicken. Netflix? Netflix. So what's the latest on Netflix? I have been watching The Crown, but I've only got into half the first latest series, so I need to up my game. I'm always behind in watching what everyone else has watched. episode of In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns. It's a delight to have you with us today, Milton, and it's hard to believe that we are finally having a yarn about all things Milton Dick MP of Federal Parliament. Well, it's wonderful to do a catch-up with friends, but also to explain a little bit more about myself and also about my connections uh, with the community that I represent. And representing such a diverse and multicultural electorate, 
Um, I have many, many friends and experiences uh, with members from India and the subcontinent and the varying stories I've heard over the last four years of being a federal member of parliament, but also 12 years as a local councillor. I've learned so much, but also had a journey myself in terms of understanding where people come from and why they've called Australia. Milton, talking about Australia, let's talk about your spiritual connection to the land where you belong and how you think the new migrant community and the multicultural community of Australia should embrace and understand about all of that. Well, it's a really good question. Um, We can, from my personal family experience, can have connections to Australia from the 1860s. So we have a number of family Bibles and histories which have led us to many stories and many chapters of our own family's history, going back uh, to basically central Queensland and Charters Towers, where my relatives came from Scotland. So imagine a cold, dreary Edinburgh, a wet, wintry Edinburgh, and then coming to central Queensland in the 1860s. And that is where my family uh, first moved to and then moved around Queensland in the search of gold and went to um, Gympie. Right. And I have a ring um, that my father gave me before he passed away, which was his grandmother's wedding ring that was made allegedly out of some of the first gold ever discovered in Gympie. My goodness. So that ring is very precious to me because his mother made it for him when he went off to war so he could be protected and so that his family would always be with him when he was serving in the Navy in the 1940s. So, yeah, we have a connection with this state and this country, but obviously our First Nations people have a lot longer than that, some 60,000 years, the oldest continuing living civilization. But whether you've been here for 160 years or you've been here for 16 months... My father always had a saying, we've come in different boats, but we're all in the same boat now. And that's how I view a lot of the constituents that I represent. Whether you've been here for a little while or a long while, we're all in this together. You're listening to In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns, a podcast which is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music and Deezer. You can also follow us on Instagram on wired underscore global or Facebook and also on Twitter at global underscore wired. How's it going for you in COVID times, Milton? How are you managing it? Well, I've, I've been quite lucky. I've been, um, I've only had to quarantine once, which for a two-week period when we had that limited time of coming back from Parliament. And that was, I, I was able to do that at my house. So I could finally fix those renovations and do those things around the house that I've been promising for a long time. COVID's been okay for me, but I have witnessed firsthand families doing it tough either financially, economically or health-wise. But also, as I keep saying about the community I represent being such a diverse and multicultural community, I've heard heartbreak stories of family overseas 
who have lost loved ones, people who have found it difficult to travel in between countries to visit, people who are not well, caps of getting people to and from, back into Australia with limited flights and expensive flights and then the cost of quarantining. My office has been flooded with a whole range of issues to help people. So that's been a very challenging period. Also the fact that a lot of kids had to learn at home so online learning was difficulty for many families people losing their jobs understanding the new complexities of how to engage in communities so no more big festivals of multicultural it's a lot more online connections and communities so i think everyone's had a huge adjust i call myself very fortunate that i've been able to work from my office and from home and in attend parliament when quiet under very strict conditions so i've been one of the lucky ones but i'm acutely aware that there are many many people who have not had as lucky as i have Absolutely, Milton. And I, when I think of the baby boomers and the children and the children, I think that era is definitely suffering a lot in isolation. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly they're lost in a world of no technology and really looking for that human connect. How do you think in the coming times we can curb that? I think it is a new normal that we will all have to adjust to. I think making an extra effort for those people who are isolated to make sure that there is plenty of social inclusion. There's a lot of older Australians and I think a lot of older residents that are feeling that isolation separated from family. You may be a country away or you may be a suburb away, but there is still a disconnect there. So being acutely aware of that as a representative, doing what I can in terms of policies and resources to help people who are isolated and also mental illness as well something we haven't really spoken about but when people are feeling isolated and alone their mental health has been I think a critical area that I think government needs to do more in particularly for some of the older people who are alone definitely definitely are you going to get the jab I will I'll be I'm hopeful that when when a vaccine is safely proved through our Um, health authorities and TGA I will be obviously taking medical advice but once we get the green light I'll be encouraging everyone um, to do the right thing Uh, and it's not about protecting your own health it's also about protecting everyone else's health as well like wearing a mask I know there's some people who are disappointed or a bit annoyed about some of the provisions about social distancing proper hand hygiene Uh, and we've had those debates but it's not just about an individual it's a society that we live in as well and we've got to think of each other so once we get that once we pray and get the vaccine over the line I'm hopeful that everyone will step up and do the right thing you're listening to in the spirit of spinning yarns a podcast which is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music and Deezer. You can also follow us on Instagram on wired underscore global or Facebook and also on Twitter at global underscore wired. typical day in your diary look like you know how do you start your day do you do you you know work out what do you do for your fitness I, during covid i did purchase a treadmill oh so i had that um 
that hasn't got as much use as it probably should have. Cost per run is still fairly high. I need to get that cost per run a bit lower, but I do try and go to the gym to release some energy, to kickstart the day. If it's either at the early start or the end of the day, I'll do some some sort of exercise, go for a run, go to the gym, go for a walk, uh, just to clear the head and keep the cobwebs away. And then it, no two days are really the same. I'm so privileged to be elected that I pride myself in trying to be out as much as possible in the community. Things are opening up a lot more now. So there's a lot more events and activities to go to. I spend a lot of time outside of my office engaging with constituents and finding their problems, listening to what their issues are. And I guess I've always been a bit of an old school politician that I think politicians really should be problem solvers. We're presented with the problems and then we've got to work um, as hard as we can to solve the problem. And that can be from anything from helping someone with a problem with government or a payment through a, a social security issue or, as I said, an immigration issue or a veterans issue or support for community organisation. I'm very lucky that we have hundreds and hundreds of church and sporting clubs that do amazing support mentoring and support programs for those in need in my electorate that I try and spend as much time as I can with those constituents. Today I've been visiting a school, I've met with some faith with a faith leader, I've visited a business, I've got your podcast which I'm loving at the moment and then I've got a community group meeting tonight. So no two days are the, the, the same. There's always some new challenge thrown our way and I do my best to try and pack as much as I can in, um, particularly now when we're not doing Zooms. Thank you heavens we're doing more face-to-face which i really enjoy of course absolutely i think i think it's a blessing to be able to you know have that human connect and uh, deal with scenarios as such and from from a journey of being the young president of federal alp to elected federal member of parliament in 2016 so did you ever know in your childhood that you were going to be a statesman, Milton? No, definitely not. Our family was not particularly political growing up. My parents were heavily involved with community groups and helping people through either their church or clubs or, or whatnot. And it was probably only at university where I started studying and learning and working. I'd say myself as a bit of an accidental politician. Some people laugh when and. Uh, like your face when I when I say that but it wasn't really something I intended to do I was finishing high school and had the choice of being accepted to study a bachelor of arts and economics or a bachelor of music so I was a, a musician um at one what would, you, what would you play or sing? I was a, a violinist and oh. a, a piano and flute player, right. a bit of a rusty piano player, uh-huh. um, and uh, was really torn about what to do, but my father put me on the straight and narrow uh, and said that musicians don't make much money, um, so I should go get a proper degree. Um, but I've always had that love of music um, and, and at one stage was thinking of becoming a police officer as well. So uh, all of those things, I guess, are sort of service orientated and, and providing for others. Um, but it was just through university and then working and study that led me to 
uh, local government and then led me to being a federal member of parliament now. So there was no grand plan. I've just been very, very fortunate and very, very lucky. And as some of listeners would know, I have an older brother who is also a state member of parliament, a different level of government. And I have an older sister who is the star of the family, as we say. She is a school teacher. She's been an educator for over 30 years. And we're enormously proud of her achievements of, I think, being the one one of the best teachers in the country and her life of committed to learning has inspired both my brother and myself to to do what we can to lift as many students up as possible Uh, and we look to her for a lot of practical advice about how to use education to empower people. Fantastic Milton, clearly the gold souvenir from your grandfather is really protecting you and really empowering all of you all the way through. Yeah, we're very lucky in our family. My dad was, um, as I said, a, a veteran and a businessman and my mother was a nurse. So practical and caring side as well, um, which have made us all, I think, uh, driven and committed to the things that we do. So let's talk about politics. You know, of course, 24-7 you're living in it for such a long time. I'm sure it's not always fun and orderly, and there are always the moments of non-orderly scenarios. Any experiences? Well, it's like any job, really. There's there's ups and downs. You have your good days and your bad days. I mean, representing over 130,000 people, um, you're going to have people that disagree with you on some days, and sometimes those days are more than others. Um, but you've got to do what's in your heart as what you think is the right thing by the community. I spend a lot of time, as I said in my earlier remarks, of listening to people, either at community groups or pop-up offices or mobile offices where people are, either in their workplace or at shopping centres or coffee shops. And I love the best part, probably, of my job is when people will come up to me and even if they disagree with me, and I always tell the people, they'll start a conversation by saying, you won't like what I'm going to say. And that's exactly the sorts of things. And I actually say, I actually will love what you're going to say. I might like it, but I actually love hearing. And that can be from a criticism or an idea. And all of those little conversations, those micro conversations, those one-on-one ideas, every one of those is important to me because it's the only way that I can really learn what's happening and hearing what's happening. Even if I'm out and about quickly getting some groceries, someone will be staring at me and I know that they want to say something, so I just go up to them and say, G'day, what's on your mind? And they'll say, I'll tell you what's on my mind. I'm glad you asked. And I think that's the great Aussie spirit that we have in terms of our politics here, that people aren't afraid to tell you exactly what they think. But, yeah, it, it's it's... It's on the whole very positive, not negative. So who is your inspiration, Milton? Who is your inspiration? And are you can can people say that are you a Marxist? You are driven by capitalism, socialism? I don't really hold to any one ism. Um, I would call myself a centrist. I'd call myself someone in the middle, a progressive person who believes in change, and as opposed to maybe a conservative who likes to keep things the same, I like to see incremental change. I like to see things a bit quicker, change things for the better. Now, that's not everyone's cup of tea. I understand that. But I like to see progress. I like to see things evolve and I like things to move forward. And I'm very privileged to have been inside the political party that I chose to join 30 years ago. So you can probably work out how old I am. Nearly 30 years ago as one of the oldest or the oldest political parties in Australia, the Australian Labor Party, um, which has always been a party of the fair go, giving people opportunity, making sure that the little guy is looked after. 
and that we're not just worried about those who are have the power and influence. We're always remembering those people perhaps who don't have a voice. And as I said in my earlier remarks, my parents weren't partisan politics. They weren't talking party politics at home. They're always talking about issues, places and things and people. So that's probably what led me into the Labor Party. My inspiration, I would probably say my parents and my grandparents who were very humble shopkeepers and shop assistants, very honourable, hardworking, probably traditional working class sort of people. And I remember my mother telling me before she passed away, she lived to about the age of 90 and before she passed away telling me when she was growing up as a child of the Depression in the 1930s and 40s, if she, someone had told her back then or my grandparents that they would have a grandson or granddaughter, let alone two grandchildren elected to the state or federal parliament from their working class humble beginnings, it would be the equivalent in the 1930s of saying someone could go to Mars. It just wasn't really in the the, the thought processes. So I carry a lot of that inspiration and aspiration from my um, parents and grandparents who came from very humble beginnings and carry that very strongly with, I often think about my parents or my father in particular who was born in 1920, what stories he would have heard from the pandemic 100 years ago from his parents or grandparents. What lessons did they learn? And then 100 years later, um, I'm privileged of making those some of those decisions to deal with how we deal with the economic recovery. And if I had one wish in life, it would be because I didn't know my grandparents, obviously didn't meet any of my grandfathers and knew my grandmothers very little, would be to go back and talk to my grandparents or great-grandparents to, to, to pick their brains and yeah. to, to understand what they went through. So I would be a have a, a snapshot of what their life was like. You're listening to In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns, a podcast which is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music and Deezer. You can also follow us on Instagram on wired underscore global or Facebook and also on Twitter at global underscore wired. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I I mean, we were very blessed to have um, our parents live until they were 92 and 89 or something, respectively. So wonderful, wonderful long lives. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's like anyone who grieves a, a parent over the last couple of years. Um, the sadness turns into happiness because those memories are, 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 are joyful. The last state election, my brother, uh, let my sister and myself know that this was the first election that neither of our parents had been alive. And our parents did like, obviously like love election days and loved seeing what was happening on the election day. So that was a tinge of sadness, but we're enormously grateful and proud for the lessons and values that they gave us. And we're always reminded of what they would do or what they would say, particularly through their grandchildren and my nieces and nephews and all of those things. So we're lucky that we're very close and tight. Your purpose is clear, Milton, and you're absolutely driving the dignity of labour movement in Australia. Clearly, the labour movement has evolved from the last 30 years since you joined the Labour Party. How do you think this is going to be for the contemporary Australia? We've had the bushfire, the age crisis, the robo-debt crisis. We heard you speak a lot about that in the Parliament, COVID-19. 
And uh, last but not the least, the uh, Afghan soldiers' stories. Uh, and coming from a family where your father was a veteran, tell us, how do you see it all evolving? Well, uh, one of the greatest things I've had of being a member of Parliament is to join in the Australian Defence Force Parliamentary Program. So the ADFPP program is one that members and senators can sign up for. Uh, and I have been very honoured to spend time with in the ADF, in the East Timor Sea, based in Darwin, through our uh, sovereign borders operations. And I have also, on two separate occasions, travelled to Iraq and Afghanistan. So I've been able to um, be involved in some of those conflicts, mind you, from a very observation point of view, representing a large number of Defence Force personnel and Defence Force housing. Hambly Air Force Base is just um, a little way out of my electorate. And working closely with veterans groups, RSLs in my own community. I think it's very important that we recognise what has happened, we acknowledge that, but we don't in any way disregard the efforts of our ATF. The brave men and women that have protected our country, yes, there are some horrific investigations that have occurred, and I will allow the authorities to follow all of the avenues um, through the Defence Force and through our civilian processes. But yeah, I, I, I value every single man and woman that has served or put on the uniform to defend our country and all of those challenges that you've identified, health, economic, regional confrontations and trade issues and all of those things, we've just got to take them one at a time. We've got to go through them bit by bit and as a member of the opposition, not in government, our job is to be critical where required but supportive when responsible and required to as well. So I am a bit of a traditionalist when realising that good governments need good oppositions. You can't be a good government unless you have an effective good opposition. I think with Anthony Albanese, his message to his team, which I'm a proud member of, is to support the government when they are doing good things. And through the COVID response, that's what we have been doing, voting for legislation, voting for those economic big lever packages that came forward that are supporting the economy, but also identify where improvements can be made. Uh, and that's what I've been striving to do. I don't always get it right. I'm not perfect, but I do try and play a constructive role uh, in supporting and building dialogue and um, good conversations and good links within government ministers in particular. I always say as an opposition member, you've got to work doubly hard. You've got to stand your ground, but also work with the government of the day to deliver for constituents and local residents. Because at the end of the day, that's what I'm sent to Canberra to do. I'm sent there to get the best possible deal uh, for the residents that I represent and no matter who's in power I've got to, at the moment it's a conservative government which means I've got to work extra hard but I like a challenge and I always like a bit of hard work. Once again through my parents who were incredibly, their work ethic was through the roof. Uh, so if I get knocked down once or have a no I've just got to find another way to prosecute that argument and try and get the outcome that I need to get for the constituent. Brilliant, uh, Milton. And you are clearly now in a multi-diverse, well-skilled electorate, Oxley. You've got uh, commercial activities, railway activities, RAF is around the corner, the electorate has been in between Ipswich and Logan, and also you've got a beautiful multicultural diaspora here. So how does it feel to uh, see the richness of diversity and multiculturalism of all sorts, including race and ethnicity? Well, every day I sort of call it a tapestry that I get to help weave. 
Um, I'm only one thread, but I like to see all the other threads that are in the tapestry. And representing around 50,000 people who were born or had a parent born overseas and all of the rich cultures that I get to see, taste, uh, visit, see perform or religious ceremonies, it, it adds to that tapestry. So representing a really diverse multicultural electorate, I'm always learning things. I'm always asking questions and the community that I represent are very generous with their time and efforts in terms of explaining why things happen or why community is like they do. So you'll normally find me at most multicultural events, front and centre, supporting there hasn't been as many as normal, to be fair, with COVID, but I'm looking forward to that returning. But I'm normally the one standing right around at the end asking all the questions. Why did that happen? Or who is that person? All of those things. And the good thing is, multicultural communities are always ready for a chat and always ready for a photo. photo. <laughs> and I always say I live by the philosophy, just one more photo. One more photo. You're listening to In the Spirit of Spinning Yarns, a podcast which is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music and Deezer. You can also follow us on Instagram on wired underscore global or Facebook and also on Twitter at global underscore wired. chasing you at one of the Australia Day and India Day uh, events and also at the Diwali events and you were dressed up really brilliantly you know in that vibrant Indian attire you were just back from India how was all that experience for you Look, I hadn't been to India. It's, it's about two years ago that I w- visited India. And if I'm honest, I was a little nervous. I was a little apprehensive. You read about all these things. You Daddy talk <laughs> You talk about to local residents about who've come from India. And they give you all of this information. But seeing is belief. And the sight taste, smell, people everywhere. It's like no other place on earth. And I loved every single second I was there. It was the first parliamentary official delegation that Australia had sent in about over a decade. And it was a diverse group of people on the delegation. The uh, Agriculture Minister, David Littleproud, was on the trip. The Leader of the Opposition, Anthony Albanese, uh, in Good Enough, a Western Australian government member, and Senator Pauline Hanson. Um, a former member for Oxley, was there as well. So it was a really interesting trip in visiting Delhi, um, uh, visiting Hyderabad and a whole range of other country areas, which was a really interesting uh, view for us. Um, Obviously, talking about the people-to-people exchange pre-COVID, international students, our growing export market, the rising billionaire class of India, uh, and the wealth that's being generated there, discussions around energy and telecommunications. So it really opened my eyes about really what's on our doorstep and how Australia and India, being the world's largest democracy and our great love of cricket, also have a lot more in common than I even I thought and that I shared. So it really deepened my commitment to representing Indian Australians in particular. But India is not just one country. 
I always say it's made up of many, many faces, but many, many, many countries and religions and languages. So understanding where my constituents have come from and the values that they've brought um, has been really important to me and I'll, I'll treasure my time to India. My only request is that I head back there as, as quickly as possible once once COVID is lifted uh, and I can learn more and spend more time in India. Oh, brilliant. That sounds brilliant. Have you met PM Modi yet? Weren't unable to meet him while we were there, and he did come out for the G20 when I was here um, in the Brisbane City Council. Um, he was greeted like a, like the rock star that he is. Um, but he's got his own challenges in that country as well, and uh, some of the reforms he's done we, we witnessed. The currency changes, the work-life balance changes that he's in, in some of the, the new production projects that he's put in and some of the mining and resource and energy security issues that he's done. He has a big job ahead of him. And it was remarkable to see the transformation of the Indian economy while we're there as well. And how that plays into Australia as well and how we can improve trade to make India uh calling Australia its first port of call and we've got to work hard to to earn those export dollars. So clearly post-COVID world your first stop is going to be India? I hope so, okay. I hope so, I hope so. And, and what do you plan to do otherwise with your life, politics, everything, where to next? Um, where to next is a really good question. <laughs> um, well, getting through to the end of the year is, is priority with two weeks of busy parliamentary sittings uh, left um having a good holiday over the break holiday here in queensland which is the place to be um and then looking at some of the challenges next year in all seriousness looking at the economic pathways for some of the 13 or 14,000 businesses that i represent looking at how we can get some of those pathways for students that are looking for trades and training looking for some of the micro businesses that are establishing and how we can rebuild the economy with a strong economic rebound. We're in the worst recession that our nation has ever seen, over a million people unemployed. We've got to talk about the trade investments. We've got to talk about how we can get more people buying Australian products. The great thing that's come out of COVID is we are having conversations, I think, across all sides of politics, how we can make things in Australia again, which is fantastic. But also focusing on some of the Queensland issues about rebuilding our tourism sector, where our resource sector is heading, which is critical for our economic growth here, but also representing a very diverse and fast-growing population, making sure that we're staying ahead of the curve. So not playing catch-up politics, staying ahead of the curve. So investing in good health services, education opportunities, uh, and also some of that transport infrastructure that our growing community needs in this region. I always say that I live in the best part of Australia and represent some of the best businesses and opportunities for people in the country. We've got a fast-growing industrial base here, manufacturing and advanced manufacturing. We've got great housing stock coming online, beautiful open spaces, lots and lots of opportunities for people. So if your listeners are looking for a, a sea change or they're look, looking for a new place, I guess I ask them, invite them to come and visit southwest of Brisbane and parts of Ipswich that I represent. You'll never look back. On a parting note, Milton, your message for all our fellow Australians as we end this year the unprecedented year with a hope for the future? I would say to everyone who's listening and perhaps everyone who's not listening as well, a big thank you for all of the efforts that everyone has done in working together and supporting each other. Australia's always been built on mateship 
and looking after those in need. And we've seen that right throughout the last nine or so months. And it's been so proud to be a representative and a member of the Australian Parliament during this time where I think we've seen a new spirit of opportunity. Um, businesses that have adapted, uh, people that have gone out the extra mile looking after people. So my message would be a big thank you for everyone, for all of their efforts that they've done, and know that those in power, myself included, will continue to do what we can, where we can, to get through this and make our country even stronger, uh, economically and health-wise than ever before. Thank you so much for joining us. Continue to show all the best. Thanks for being here.